This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello, welcome to episode eight of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray. Herbert, the happy, handsome horticulturalist in a dashing shade of blue today. Well, everybody says that, um, why have I got so many names? But over in Cambridgeshire, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Friedrichsen. So you have just as many names as I do. Yeah, both quite a mouthful. Let's yeah. find out if today's mystery guest has quite such a fulsome name. Who is behind the mystery window? Drum roll. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi, how are you doing? Very well. So what are your names? So I'm Nicholas, Andrew in the middle, uh, and then Bailey, of course. Nick Bailey. Now, I was I was actually Andrew for the first week of my life, and then my guy, uh, my father met some guy at work who was a total tosser called Andrew, <laughs> and decided uh, that I could no longer be Andrew. Ironically, uh, so that became my middle name. So you would have been Andy Bailey. Andy Bailey, yeah, yeah. Not sure about that. Nick, are how are you guys? <laughs> are you only Nicholas when you're naughty? Exactly. Yeah, in front of my mother or teachers. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're very well. It's a long time since we caught up with you. Of course, you used to be on our radio show years ago, and then yes, you indeed. just went and hit the big time and became famous and uh, very illustrious and uh, acclaimed. Oh, oh, not sure so... about that, but um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> So tell us, uh, Nick or Nicholas Andrew Bailey, mm. a little bit about yourself. Oh, gosh, where, where to begin? Um, so actually, I'm... Um, I'm uh, working on relaunching my website at the moment, and one of the things I'm doing for that is uh, is a celebration of what I realised terrifyingly is my 30th year in horticulture. Um, so yes, so I started at 15. I am now 15 plus 30. Can't quite say it out loud. Um, and so um, I've been sort of going through and putting putting this document together, looking at you know what I've done horticulturally over the over the years, but then all the other things that have happened in in industry. But actually, it's kind of fascinating to look back over the over that era. And I guess for you, Alan, it's it is a, is it about 30 years as well that you've been sort of on hands-on gardening at East Ruston? I think you, know, you can actually safe, safely say it's about 45 years for me oh, as well. Because, wow. Um, it's not just here at the, at the Old Vicarage, but I mean, the greater part of that 40-odd years is, is, has been here. But even uh-huh. when Graham and I lived in London, we had, we, we've had every kind of garden, from a, a garden in a pit at the back of a block of flats to um, a roof garden, which dried out phenomenally. So I've always had that kind of gardening bug and and um you know learned a great deal of lessons as have you along the way yeah indeed i mean what i found fascinating actually pulling this this document together it's wound up being about five thousand words and it's you know it's a series of anecdotes of some of the naughtier things i've done over the years but it's also um underpinned with all the sort of key things that have happened in 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 horticulture and it's sort of been fascinating going through and when certain key plants first, you know, first arrived on the on the scene, yeah, something yeah. like, you know, something like salvia amistad, which we sort of take for granted now and everybody everybody loves, to realise that that uh, has been around since I think is it 1992, 
Yeah. Um, there's just been so many different kind of fascinating revelations. And just looking at how horticulture's shifted. You know, when I, when I started, I was working in a, in a nursery and garden centre. And the thing that everybody wanted was the absolutely gorgeous conifer and heather garden, which um, in retrospect uh, was quite hideous, but that was what was happening back, uh, back then. So that was even in the mid, the mid 80s. And I think it's incredible. We've kind of gone from that, which was the sort of antithesis of being wildlife friendly and, and in touch with the environment, to now being so much more focused on wildlife and meadows and sort of gardening in tune with nature rather than, rather than fighting it. And I don't know if you remember this, Alan, but those, those miniature conifers that were sold to go with the, with the heathers, turned out that none of them were actually miniature. So if anybody <laughs> planted them, they were good for about five years. The nursery disappeared, and then the thing got up to uh, five metres tall. Yeah, so, in a very um, short time. I know several people that have actually had, had to go to the great expense of getting rid of them because they didn't do it early enough. And then, they, you know, the time, time comes when you need a tree surgeon and a digger and goodness knows what. And it's, it's a very costly exercise. Indeed, indeed. And I don't know, just so many amazing things to see that, uh, you know, the institutions we think have been there for forever looking at Hampton Court. You know, I hadn't, hadn't realised until we put the research together that it was uh, actually Network Rail Southeast that introduced the Hampton Court Flower Show. And then, uh, and then of course, the RHS took it, uh, took it over. But that was only in the 90s. So it's, it is amazing how, how many yeah, things went, have shifted. I went to that first Hampton Court thing. Um, and I went to, they had a gala evening. I mean, this is, this is probably just the first year that it was taken over by the RHS. And they oh, had yeah, a gala yeah. evening, which you paid a horrendous amount of money to attend, but you did get a glass or two of champagne and some nice things to eat. Um, but the most wonderful thing about that gala evening was the, the uh, I don't know whether they were the Blues and Royals or whoever they were, there was a marching band, uh, which added greatly to the, the, the feeling of the evening, but the fireworks at the end were absolutely fantastic. Uh, oh, wow. Fort Palace, of course. Yeah, oh, fantastic! Yeah, I remember um, one of the one of the things I've, I've put into my sort of great list of, uh, of horticulture of thirty years was was when I put a, a show garden together for Hampton Court the first time and actually met Carol Klein that year for the for the first time as well and that was just just as she was starting to get known on TV and um, yeah, it's amazing to think that was that was twenty more than twenty five years ago. Amazing to see that Dermot Gavin has been on TV for 24 years. It's, um, yeah, it's just, just been amazing. And almost a sort of cathartic process going back through and thinking, okay, where was I when that happened? And, and then the major gardens that have uh, opened and changed, uh, you know, around the world, Annick up in, uh, up in the north. You know, I think that and then probably the, the Newt, you know, which is the, the new garden that's opened at Hadspen House. Probably the two most iconic, RHS Bridgewater as well, of course, new, uh, new RHS gardens. So, it's been really interesting to reflect on uh, on that that window of time. And yeah, you so, mentioned yeah. um, <laughs> Carol Klein and Dermot Gavin in there. Uh, it must have been really bizarre because over that time period, there have been huge changes in horticulture. There have been huge changes in plant introductions and in your life because you moved uh, from Norfolk to London. You were there at the Chelsea Physic Garden. I'm sure encountering all kinds. You now, you know, one of the Gardeners World team. You, you, and, and Chelsea Flower Show. You know, designing on Main Avenue. You, you must have crossed paths with so many people who you'd first encountered uh, from afar. You know, watching their work, yeah. and then there you are actually working alongside them. It's, it's been very, very strange. And, um, you know, what, one thing I was actually just, just writing yesterday was the fact that, uh, you know, my sorry tale of Chelsea Flower Show that I was all of one point off, off gold. 
Uh, very upsetting, still deeply bitter and twisted about it, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll get over it in the end. But, um, but what I actually put on the notes on it was, uh, you know, it was slightly lightened by the fact that I, uh, I was uh, comforted by my, my childhood crush in the name of uh, Joe Wiley, who came onto my garden on press day. And so just so many odd things have happened like that. People that, you know, I listened to her all the way through my teenage years and she was this kind of fantastical, mythical character that appeared out of Radio 1 and, you know, knew the coolest music and, and the best people. And then suddenly she's there chatting to me, telling me my garden's great. Skip forward two years and I'm presenting telly with her at uh, Hampton Court, go into the green room, uh, can't get the coffee machine to work. Suddenly Joe's in a great big flap and panicking, crawling under the table to un, uh, unplug her hair straighteners, which have stopped the coffee machine from working. And I was like, how has this happened in my life? How has this happened? But, uh, but no, it's been, it's been a real joy. And um, Nick, I think Nick, you get sort of... Your, your Chelsea, just, what, that was your first design for Chelsea, I think, wasn't it? Yes, it was, yeah. I think you have to take great solace in the fact that I don't think anybody's ever won a gold medal at their first attempt because you're a new boy and you've got to serve an apprenticeship. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. And a few people have said that to me. And actually, you know, the, the real greats of, uh, of Chelsea over the last sort of 15 years, you know, uh, uh, Cleve, Cleve West and Andy Sturgeon, yeah. both, again, didn't get gold their first time. So it does, does make me feel a bit better. Problem is, I'm not sure I could bring myself to ever, um, ever do it again. I'm, I've still got PTSD, Alan. <laughs> well, I think it's one of those things that um, until you try it, until you do it, you don't know just how much it takes out of you as a person. And I think, judging from what a lot of the exhibitors have told me over the years, it can be draining, very draining. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, ex yeah, extremely. I mean, it's, it's such an undertaking. And I think people don't realise that you've got sort of three, four months of solid work before you even arrive on site. And then sort of a year before that in the planning. And, you know, we had... Um, we had plants growing in six different sites in, in the UK and in, uh, and in Europe that we we're trying to, trying to oversee. You know, I was flying to, uh, to Germany uh, and Italy uh, sort of every other week going on these, on these dreadful Fokker planes out of, I said Fokker, planes <laughs> out, of, uh, out of city airport. I mean, I remember getting into one of them, this tiny little plane at six o'clock in the morning. Rattle traps as well. Well, yeah. And it was, the whole plane was just full of rubbish there was coke cans all over the floor it smelt like a changing room and i thought they've put this much effort into cleaning the plane how's the engine looking but anyway <laughs> we um we survived but it was yeah it was very strange and then literally over to germany run into the nursery an hour to select the trail one into a taxi back to the airport and back home again so it was just it's absolute madness what and, and you know it's not just me everybody who, who does a chelsea garden goes through that through that same stuff but it's also fascinating some of the people you you meet and you have sort of perceptions of what people are going to be like. So, for example, Mary Berry, you know, she comes across as really lovely on TV. And I kind of thought she's probably actually quite mean in reality. And this is all just uh, all just a thin veil. Anyway, I got to hang out with her at Chelsea. Turns out she's absolutely lovely. So that was uh, that was really nice. I always imagined uh, uh, Dermot Gavin would be really aloof and this kind of wild child. And he's the most lovely, warm, accessible guy you could possibly want to meet. Joe Swift, watching him for years and years and years. And I thought he'd be kind of, you know, poncy telly type. And he's just the most warm and engaging, lovely, lovely guy. So it's been really interesting. And then actually at Chelsea, um, had a few few moments of different different people coming over to my garden. Um, Ainsley Harriet stuck his tongue in my ear for some reason, which was a little bit, um, little bit alarming and uh, un unrequested. 
Um, Princess Anne came over to the garden and sort of called, beckoned me over to the edge of the garden and, and sort of leant in and whispered to me, there's a whole load of tut here, but this is lovely. And I was, I was completely astounded. And then um, Claire Balding showed up and uh, I went off on this crazy rant to her about all the amazing things she'd done from the LGBT community. And it was one of those moments where you're hearing yourself, and just stop talking. There's no stop now. I don't say any more things. And it was just spewing out of me. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been a massive shift. You know, the, uh, uh, the boy from a backwater in, uh, in Norfolk. And then, well, you know, last, um, I don't know if you were there actually, Alan, last um, autumn I ended up um, hosting the Garden Media Guild Awards in the, no, at the Savoy Hotel. And um, I mean, it was completely terrifying. It has to be, I'm sure you experienced this, Alan, actually, like speaking to the, the public and other gardeners, absolutely smart, fine. Speaking to 250 of your peers, your kind of future, present and past employers, completely terrifying. So um, but anyway, I survived it and people seem to laugh in the right places. And I don't think it was pure sympathy. So uh, maybe it was all right. But yeah, it's, it's been quite, quite a journey, quite a journey. It's, it's frankly astonishing that we've managed to find any time in your diary to, uh, to steal uh, half an hour for this podcast. You are probably one of the busiest people in horticulture. I mean, how do you find time to keep on top of, you know, you mentioned new plant introductions and also, you know, having to do some actual gardening as well. How do you find time for it all? Um, well, I'm, ext- I'm extremely lucky in as much as I have the world's most efficient assistant who runs my entire life. <laughs> so I can... Uh, I can focus on, uh, you know, on horticulture, on design, on writing, and uh, and she's kind of got everything else under control. So all of those things that I find completely mind blowing and head wrecking, whether it's kind of uh, running the the business or the the accounts or dealing with clients, all of those things she uh, she fabulously addresses. So yeah, it gives me time to, to to be able to focus on the stuff I love. So I feel very very blessed. Talking of great plants, uh, when we were preparing mm. this podcast, I did see a couple of things flying past the camera, uh, which yes. I think are somewhere behind you. So what have yeah, you got for show and tell? Yeah. OK, so two, two, two different plants. But um, this, this is a real wow plant for me and something I've used in, in lots of different gardens and lots of different forms of. So we'll see if I can, uh, if I can show you well. So it's a form of um, lobelia. But of course, it's not the, the standard lobelia that you have for bedding. That's lobelia erinus, which is this tiny little annual plant which comes from, from South Africa. This is actually a form of lobelia speciosa. So as you can see, it is a much, much, much larger plant. Um, it's a lovely, uh, lovely thing. It's about, about to go into my garden if I don't wreck it. Um, and so it starts flowering around about now. And what's lovely is, you know, most, most gardens are sort of starting to look a bit tired or, or, or sad at the moment. But this is really coming into its into its own, and this will flower all the way through till October. It's uh, the form is called Hadspen Purple. Um, there's a couple of other other forms of it. But I think there's other lobelias as well, huge lobelias at this time of year that are worth no, thinking I about. I know you grow um, lobelia tuper, don't you, Alan? At, uh, at I East do Western. grow lobelia tuper. I've got three forms of it: um, a, a dark red, a red, and and a terracotta version. And the strange oh, nice. some of them are set seed and some of them don't. And I can't remember which ones do and which ones don't at the moment. But you, you, um, Lobelia tuper is, is a great, great plant. But I was just going to tell you about something that I've grown from seed, which is, I hope oh, yeah. I'm not, not going to regret, but it's, it's a Lobelia called Lobelia fistula. And it, it okay. uh, one plant is growing in a 20 litre pot at the moment. Wow. It is ginormous. 
and it has purple flowers. It's like it's like um, Lobelia tuber on steroids. Oh wow! Um, so I'm hoping that I'm going to keep it through the winter under glass this year because I'm not sure how hard it is, and as I've only got one, I don't want to risk it. Um, so I'll keep it under glass, and the moment I see it starting to, you know, produce a, a, a central bud that's going to flower, out it goes into the garden. It's a really exciting thing. Ooh, nice. I mean, I have to say that there are a few dubiously named um, uh, lobelias out there. Of course, there's Lobelia syphilitica as well, yeah. which uh, which flowers in spring in that uh, in that pale blue tone. But um, yeah, they're a nice group of plants. There's also, of course, Lobelia cardinalis, which are those sort of dark formed um, uh, lobelias. I don't know if you've come across them, thought with the really intense red flowers. And they're interesting because you can grow them in relatively boggy soil, ordinary soil, or you can grow them as a marginal plant, sort of directly in water. What's so... fascinating about Lobelia cardinalis, and that is the fact that it grows in America where it spends its winter covered with snow. And yet in England, where we have moister winters, it often it often snuffs it, it often dies. Pegs out, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the reason for that is because in America they have, the, it's a bit like, um, oh, the prairie flower, what do, you, what do I mean? Those Echinacea? Echinacea? Yes, echinaceas. Mm. Um, because they have that wet in the winter, they die. I, have you, yeah. I don't know whether you've looked at the RHS trial of echinaceas at Twisley, have you, Nick? I haven't yet, no, what's it, uh, uh, what's it revealing? There's very little to see. <laughs> well, I have to say, I often say this to people, you know, I really like echinaceas, but I cannot think of a single garden in the UK where there's an established stand of echinacea. It just doesn't no, no, seem to no. happen. Yeah. Um, you know, they're lovely almost as, a, as an annual. And some of the crazy ones that appeared a few years ago, you know, the orange flowered ones and the sort of green and whites and stuff. I mean, again, I've, I'm afraid I've just treated them like annuals because they just yeah, they don't survive. Yeah, that's what you have to do. If you, have, if you get your mind around the fact that they're probably not going to come back and, and, you know, and you don't mind spending the money for them, um, then that's fine. But that's the way to yeah. use them, I think. Of course, yeah. for, for you, Nick, we were hearing this from, from Bunny and, uh, and also from Tamara Bridge. As a designer, you have got to know the right plant for the right client. And, you know, there are going to be people you just need something that can take neglect, that will reliably, yeah. you know, turn up and produce the goods year in, year out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a there's a standard palette of plants. I mean, uh, in the last few years, I've obviously dealt with a lot of gardens in central London. You'll recognise this, Alan, that like the bog standard things that you find everywhere. So there's Hydrangea Annabelle, absolutely everywhere. Uh, Pittosporum Tibera, absolutely everywhere. Boxer Sempervirens, well, it's being taken out by the, the box caterpillar. Um, but it's the uh, plastic grass, pleached uh, carpinus. It's just all this stuff that's um, agapanthus and there's maybe two or three other things. And you kind of think, gosh, London gardeners are really missing out. There's such an incredible, especially the heat island of London, you know, the range that could be grown there. Yet people just fall back on these, what I'm afraid I tend to call landscaper plants, um, <laughs> which are the kind of just solid doers that you can kind of bung in and, uh, uh, and neglect. And of Nick, course, I London have an idea is full of television series for you. Well, perhaps, perhaps. But London's <laughs> full of this. Um, I don't know if yeah, you've come across you know, a series on London gardens where, where where people actually grow plants that are almost completely non-hardy throughout the rest of the British Isles. I think would be very interesting, actually, because it would encourage yeah. people as we're going into this period where the climate's changing and becoming warmer. Um, it might encourage you know people to try um, a few of these unusual plants further afield than the, the, the great radiator that is central London. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, the physic garden is is testament to that. If you look what's, yeah. you know, there's an avocado growing there that fruits. There's yes. grapefruit growing there, which fruits all year round. There's the largest olive tree in the UK. So it's, 
But I think there's those those two extremes. There's all that sort of uh, fineness and delicacy of the visit garden. And then you go to the sort of wealthy houses nearby and they've got all those bog standard plants. And once a week, a, a guy comes in. I don't know if you guys have come across this term, the mow, blow and go gardener. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which which so often happens in um, uh, uh, in central uh, London. I drive to London. We drive down a road in uh, just outside Hampstead. And I think there's an awful lot of foreign diplomats live in this road. And I mean, you can tell that they don't just, when one, one moves out, they pull the house down and build another one. You know, it's that kind of, that wow. kind of thing. Wow. Um, but you were talking about Hydrangea Annabelle. Well, mow, blow and flow come in and look after this garden. And they do actually, they <laughs> blow the leaves off the tarmac and they sweep and they keep Annabelle looking absolutely sweet. Um, but that's about all there is. There's lots of white paving and white Annabelle, and that's about all there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, as you say, it's, it, it's a waste of what's an amazing opportunity. There's that, um, uh, that lovely little um, Namisha, I'm just trying to remember the uh, uh, Namisha confetti. And if yeah. you grow it at East Ruston Allen, I mean, yeah. in London, uh, in central London, in a protected garden, um, it flowers year round. It never stops. Uh, there's one I put into a courtyard, which is now six years old. You know, sold to the rest of the country as an and animal. I ask you, it does similar things, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so it's sort of taking advantage of that, 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 that climate. And uh, yeah, it's a shame that people don't do, it, don't do it more. Do you find, Nick, that when people are hiring you to design their gardens, that they expect something different? Or do you find you come up against... I want what I've seen my, you know, my rich friend has, and they've got lots of Annabelle looking fabulous, and I want that. Or do they come to you expecting you to be able to experiment and do something a bit different? I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm really blessed because there's there's a particular set of clients out there that have already sort of predetermined what they want and what they don't want. But um, I've been really lucky in the last five years that that I've been able to sort of, I guess people have recruited me for a particular reason or because they know my my background is as much plantsman as it is is designer. So they know what they're sort of signing up to, that it isn't going to be a, you know, a mobile and go garden. It's going to be something that's a bit, um, uh, a bit more dynamic, a bit more exciting. And no, I think I'm very, very lucky. I mean, one, one strange restriction I do, I do hear again and again and again from clients, and I don't, don't know if you've come across this, Alan, is that people don't want orange. Now, I absolutely oh, love wow. orange, and yeah, I'm not prepared yeah. to not use it. So, um, so they tell me I don't want orange. I promise under no circumstances will there be orange in the garden. I then put orange in the garden, but I call it peach or apricot, and then it's all fine. <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right. I do remember, um, I remember extolling the virtues of um, some crocosmias to a lady who was visiting my garden. And she said, well, that's all very nice. And I said, well, what's wrong? And she said, well, they're orange. As if I was supposed to agree with her and, and hate orange. Well, I know for a start that our host today, Thunder Fairy. Yes. Bonnie <laughs> loves orange. I'm glad to hear that you do, because I do. And it takes me, it might make Ooh. me think. It makes me think that perhaps we're ahead of the game because um, in a funny sort of way, you know, I, I remember back to the gardening fashions of yesteryear. Where's he gone? <laughs> oh, just, getting, just showing off my burnt orange pillow. <laughs> um, I remember like going back to the gardens of yesteryear where everything had to be cream and pale pink um, before all colour was allowed. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the advent of putting dahlias in your garden rather than your vegetable garden or cutting patch, I mean, that was huge. And I yeah. think, you know, from that, I think, will become a love of orange. And, you know, if you think of growing orange flowers with chocolate-coloured foliage, um, absolutely fine. It just looks absolutely lovely. And don't put orange with white. Always put it with cream. Mm. So much smarter, darling. 
And, and talking dahlia. Good tip. My best dahlia is, I think, is it brown sugar? Oh, it's yes. just, it's yes. amazing. Everybody needs to grow it, whether you like orange or not. It's just, it's kind of a ready orange, I suppose, anyway, but it's wonderful. Oh, this is such good, I, such good really value good. at this time of year. Yeah. I rather like the fact that all these people that hate orange are suddenly going to find themselves left behind. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Yes, indeed, indeed. Now, yeah, now, the said, now we start talking about dahlias. Um, we can move on to Flomo, I think. Actually, do you know my Flomo is um, is specifically Nick Bailey related because I was going through some of my photos um, the other day, and for anyone who doesn't know what Flomo is, fear of missing out on a fabulous plant. Though by episode eight, you're probably well on board with Flomo, um, and I think all gardeners have it. But I was going through my photos, and I spotted a plant um, from a picture visiting a garden in Cornwall, and it was a plant I had first seen in your show garden, and it was that wonderful aloe or aloe polyphylla. Oh, polyphylla, yeah. Spirals round. And I've, I mean, I've probably got no hope of growing it, to be honest, in my tiny garden. I haven't really got anywhere I can put it. But I saw it and I thought, oh, I, I remember seeing that plant in your garden on Main Avenue at the Chelsea Flower Show and just being blown away by it. It's, it's such a special plant. And uh, I mean, we, we were lucky enough to secure the, the five specimens in the country, the five big specimens. And so we used them... Um, right at the front of the garden. I was completely neurotic about them the whole time because they're worth hundreds of pounds each. But people haven't seen them. They're the most incredible thing. Viewed from above, they're, um, they're this extraordinary piece of perfect mathematical geometry. The layout of the leaf, the spiral pattern that they follow. It's, uh, you know, it's Fibonacci um, series, that sort of mathematical sequence of, uh, of numbers that determines it. And it's, it's just perfect. I was just thinking, I don't know whether we've got that in the garden here, but I don't think we have. You should. It's, it's <laughs> quite a special thing. Yeah, I don't think it would be hardy enough for us to grow outside yet. Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe all your succulents um, in the, I can't remember which the area of the garden's called, uh, the sort of narrow area of the garden by the back of the, the cafe. And um, we've got the succulents on the, the shelves. Oh, yes, outside the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. That would be a yeah, good place, actually. Maybe if it was containerized. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think you know, they um, were the young one if they're worth that much money, I think. <laughs> that, that shelf of succulents takes up a, a whole page in my, uh, in my book, Revive Your Garden, because I thought it was so oh, lovely. Good. And Jonathan <laughs> took, uh, took such a lovely picture of it. So, um, Jonathan who? Jonathan, the, the Jonathan. He, I mean, he's a, bit, he's a bit like Cheryl or Madonna or Kylie, you, you know. It's a bit <laughs> like saying Fergus in horticulture. There is only yeah. one Fergus, right? <laughs> Give him a plug. So, Jonathan Buckley, the fabulous That's garden it. photographer. Yes, yes, Jonathan Buckley. <laughs> so, Nick, uh, what is your FLOMO? Okay, so this is going to take a bit of a sell because it's not, um, it doesn't look particularly beautiful at the moment. Now, if we were doing this recording at half past eight tonight, you would, uh, you would be able to experience it a little more, but let me just grab hold of it. So, this is a plant I fell in love with um, when I was working in, in South Africa, which, um, which uh, having just done this, uh, this 30 years thing, I can now remember exactly was in 1996. And um, this is the plant. Now, I appreciate this looks a little ratty at the moment. Um, however, it's because I've got it with some others in my glass house and it was being, being held up. But what's special about it is, is this flower. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it. So 
don't know how closely you can see, but the um, the flower buds curl up during the day and they look almost black on screen, but in fact, they're sort of a deep burgundy red. Maybe this one looks a little bit better. Um, and then you can see as well that the corolla tube, the white bit behind the flower is absolutely enormous. And so there's two very specific reasons for this. This plant is called Zelosianskia uh, capensis. So it comes from the Cape region of, uh, of South Africa. It, um, as I say, the, uh, the flowers are sort of dark on the back, but at nighttime they open and they're specifically sort of co-evolved with a moth. So a moth is able to get its extraordinarily long tongue um, all the way down to the bottom of the corolla tube. And actually there are moths out there, believe it or not, that have tongues up to four times the length of their body. Can you imagine the practicality of that, of that Alan, walking around Chelsea? <laughs> you have to use it as well. Just roll it around, maybe a belt, a little sash. Um, anyway. Um, Devon headbands. So sorry? Devon headbands. Yes, indeed, indeed. And so the thing that makes this plant truly, truly extraordinary is it has the most mind-blowing night scent. It's, um, it's kind of palmer violet. If you remember those sweets from, uh, from our youths. And there's, there's no other plant that I know that carries this, this scent. Um, I have it in my glass house and just these few flowers are enough to fill the glass house in the evening. It's absolutely spectacular. Now, if you grow it better and a bit harder than I have done this year, you can end up with a much more sort of chunky, compact plant that's more this sort of size. And it's a lovely thing that you can have on uh, an evening dining table outdoors. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful evening scent. Obviously, you won't get the specific moths arriving. And of course, the other thing I should mention as well is once the flowers open up, they're white on the inside, so very, very striking. And each petal is like the end of a little bone. So it's a little bobbled um, double end to the petal. So it's a really, really special thing. So Zelosianskia capensis, very, very lovely thing. It's, this one's tender and it's an annual. If you want to try a Zelosianskia uh, at home, there's a much hardier one called Zelosianskia avata, which you can grow on a, uh, on a rock garden or similar. Its scent is nothing in comparison to this, but it has a very similar flower. It's very beautiful. Um, but I would say next year, honestly, have a go at growing Zolosianskia capensis. It's on my wish list. Yes, ah. I thought it would be. So, Alan, <laughs> what is your current Flomo? Well, my current Flomo is well, twofold, really, because I've just heard about, um, it's new to me, it's just a geranium, a hardy geranium called Elworthy Eyecatcher. And you know how you get these sort of hardy geraniums, they sell seed around and they're great in sort of, if you've got the space and you want to cover some ground, they're great for sort of either using in a meadow planting or in um, a woodland planting where you get some shafts of sunshine coming through. But, and they're always usually sort of a slight pale knicker pink. Well, this one, <laughs> this one has vibrant pink flowers. And I think you could almost say it's shriekingly chaparelli pink, which is a favorite <laughs> uh, phrase of mine. And I think the flowers are, uh, they're, they're this shrieking pink. They've got magenta venation on the flowers. That means veins. And they've got a lovely boss of stamens, which are purple, purpley black and a black eye. Um, and the great thing about them is, is this um, eye catcher, Elworthy eye, eye catcher, is that it flowers from June until the first frosts. So if you've got Ooh, space for something like that, I think it's absolutely lovely. I'm going to have some of that very, very soon. So I'm going to be using it. The other thing is a tree that's come to my attention. And it's something called Hagenia abyssinica. 
Um, and I've just been reading, I, I pinched this idea from a great friend of mine, Helen Dillon, who gardens in Northern Ireland. And she said, this is my favorite tree. And she's got a new garden she's had for the last four years um, because she downsized and moved outside of <coughs> Dublin itself. And um, she's got a four-year-old tree and it just has such fantastic form. You need to look at it because it has these kind of great, clusters of brown sort of catkinny type things on it. It could even be fruit. But Abyssinica, is it going to be hardy? I don't know. Oh, interesting. I think, um, did, did you see um, any bits of Dermot's BBC Two show? Because he, um, he featured Helen's new garden, which I was yet to see until that, until that point. Yeah, I did, I did see it, yeah. yeah Very good. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she's, I think, she's... I mean, we all know that Helen, and she, she won't, she'll forgive me for saying it, but we all know that Helen is as mad as a box of frogs. But, you know, <laughs> in all the right comes... ways. In all the right ways. <laughs> yeah, in the right way, the absolutely lovely way. But when it comes to plants, boy, does she know her stuff, and boy, is she generous. I did a talk in, in uh, Dublin once, and she was in the audience, um, and she'd written about um, uh, a form of Melianthus major, which has a purple cast to the stems. And I, I, I saw her in the audience and I doing my talk and up comes Melianthus Major as a slide. And when the slide came up, I mentioned the fact that there was a rather famous Irish lady journalist who says that she has a form uh, with purple cast to the leaves. And she said to me the next day, because I was seeing her garden the next day, she said to me, damn, he's going to want my last plant. Well, I did. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> oh, very nice. Very nice. We're, we're really running out of time and we should um, we should talk more about you, Nick, while we've got you uh, in your busy schedule. You, you talked about working on your new uh, website and kind of your, your business. What are your, your current plans and, and where do we go to go and find out more about you? Oh, grand. OK. Well, I mean, th- this year has obviously been very, very strange for all of us, but it's it's opened up a brilliant opportunity for me which is, uh, you know, myself and, and other presenters on Gardeners World are in this sort of somewhat ironic situation that, that from May through till July, we're barely in our own homes because we're constantly travelling around the country to garden shows or different locations for, uh, for shoots. And so our gardens get extremely neglected or, or nothing happens at all. So actually it's been wonderful to have this, this period of time. And so I've actually spent the last few months kind of re, redesigning and, and developing my own, my own garden. Now it's, it's a London garden, so it's not, um, it's not huge, but it does come with those advantages we were, we were talking about earlier. So um, in fact, before I was uh, chatting to you today, I was outside with an angle grinder um, cutting, more, cutting more bricks. And um, the garden featured on BBC Gardeners World uh, about two months ago. Uh, and they're due to come back and uh, and film again, so that'll be going out uh, later in the year. Um, what's been really interesting, and I suspect it's something to do with lockdown, is the inquiries coming through uh, for for garden design, because I think people are so much more focused on their on their plots because they're because they're stuck at home. And so I've I've tended to focus on the on the southeast for most of my work. But in actual fact, I've uh, in fact I'm doing a garden um, up up in uh, uh, closer to you guys in um, Stalham. At the at the moment, so uh, up in uh, up in Norfolk. In fact, Alan, I'm hoping Ian can uh, can be involved with some of the maintenance if you haven't taken up every day he has spare. <laughs> but uh, we will see. Um, and um, yeah, there are various other projects, but I was very keen to sort of um, sort out my website because because if I'm honest, it's been a bit of a mess for a while, and wanted to sort of offer up um, a few a few sort of different things that I that I do. So. The books are going onto the onto the website, so 365 Days of Colour in Your Garden, snappily titled, and um, and Revive Your Garden. 
um, which is my second and third book. So now I can finally sell those via the website with uh, with dedications. Um, I've got my sort of full garden design uh, and build service properly promoted on there. So my company is called Notabene Horticulture. And uh, so it's just an opportunity to show a bit of what we do. Um, and so, of course, we offer a, a, a fairly standard kind of garden design and build service. But we're starting to do a few different things. So, for example, one thing we're, we're going to be doing uh, through this autumn and into next year uh, is an online consultancy service. So people can come onto the uh, come onto the website, um, book me in for a for a particular time slot, either as a gift for a friend or their own garden, or it could be two neighbours sharing it. Uh, and then they get half an hour of me exclusively in their garden, um, either advising on design, plant identification, uh, pest and disease, whatever it may be. And so they, they they get a bit of a, a bit of a slice of head gardener on their on their plots. Um, and then I'm also launching a thing I'm, I'm sort of most excited about is um, a series of webinars online. Um, so ordinarily, by this point in the year, I probably would have spoken to thirty or forty different horticultural groups around the country. But of course, that's not been not been possible because of lockdown. And so I thought, okay, what's what's another way I can make this this work? And um, in fact, I did a, a webinar for Garden Masterclass um, and, uh, in fact, did a, a teaching session last year at Alan's Place for Garden Masterclass as well. Um, and it went down extremely well. And I kind of thought, OK, I, I can do this. You know, all I need <laughs> yeah. is, a, is, is a Zoom meeting and, uh, and some plants and, and me. And um, so, yeah, that's that will come out via the, the website. And as I say, I'm, uh, I'm also launching a blog on there, which I've not done before. So, um, there's, uh, there's three features up on there where well, it'll be going live fairly shortly, but there's one feature on something I know drives gardeners completely insane. You probably get questions about it on the show is why do plant names keep changing? So there's a blog on that. There's a blog on um, new ways, new approaches to bulbs. And then there's the blog, which is the, the what I've been doing for the last 30 years. Wow. And with that, we've basically run out of time. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> So thank you so much uh, to both of you for your, your time. Uh, I've had an absolute ball and so many more plants on my wish list. <laughs> thank you. Great to talk to you. Happy both. gardening and goodbye. Hey, Thordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person... We don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. Hey.